I'm recording. I'm recording right now. Really? And, and I'm sorry. Was there a mea culpa in there about your previous behavior? For like, what? What did it? Well, I mean, just the you know your contribution to the fact that we 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 just can't get we just can't get on track technologically. That I mean, you and I are like a full generation beyond talking through string tied between two tin cans. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? I'm sorry. You want me to apologize? That's what the money's for. You want me to apologize? For what? What are you doing? Are you doing Ray Liotta? What is this? What, what, what are you doing? You're doing a you're doing a bit, aren't you? No, I'm I'm just being. Oh, this I'm is just, you. I'm oh, just this being is me. you now. <laughs> All right, are we gonna clap? Howdy! Welcome to episode 36 of the Managing Expectations podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Winger, and with me as always is the ever-reliable Brian Grimm. Howdy, Brian. Howdy, Jeff. Good afternoon to you. Well, it is a good afternoon, Brian. The sun is shining, and the birds are at the feeder. The dog's trotting around like she has something to do. And I'm working on speaking in clear sentences without annoying interruptions with my own verbal tics. Uh, you've done a great job so far for 45 seconds. Let's keep it up. 45 and the rest of my life to go. <laughs> you sound a little bit like Alec Baldwin doing Tony Bennett. <laughs> I know. That's what I got to do to do not say, uh, because nothing, <laughs> you may think you're cool. But you're not Alec Baldwin doing Tony Bennett cool. Uh, Tony Bennett did okay with his voice, didn't he? He did. He did. Did you ever see the 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 sketch where Tony Bennett was on as another as a Tony Bennett impersonator? Uh, so it was actually Baldwin doing his Tony Bennett to Tony Bennett. Yeah, I think I did see that. That it sounds really familiar. Great. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was great. So. I sent you, didn't I, a, uh, a note of things we're going to talk about? Do you have that there in front of you? Uh, you know what? I don't have it in front of me, but I have been studying it, and so I know what I want to talk about. Well, listen, buddy, why don't you kick things off? Why don't you, why don't you get this old ball rolling? Well, uh, Sean Connery uh, passed away, uh, I guess it's been a little over a week now. And uh, I thought that it would be good for us to maybe talk about some of his non-Bond roles that would be great and so, i have some, and i have some okay so i'll begin league of Let's extraordinary start. gentlemen go ahead you know <laughs> i know you're just trying to provoke me and it's not going to work because i am i am cool as a cucumber yeah i, Actually, I tony bennett would have said something cooler than that and yeah. alec baldwin doing uh, I actually never saw League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, so I will cross that one off the list. Well, since you obviously want some, you're trying to elicit some response from me, I will tell you that I've probably watched a half hour of it 
like up to the point where Russell Crowe makes an appearance as Dr. Jekyll. It was terrible. The whole movie was terrible. It shouldn't have been. Wait, is that the one? Is Russell Crowe in that? I, I can't remember. Uh, it was, I, I think I, I you're think right. right. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, or was that Tom Cruise's The Mummy, which was supposed to kick off like a whole Paramount movie, uh, monster movie re- revival? They were going to do Frankenstein and The Werewolf and The Mummy and everything they own. Uh, maybe so. Uh, nope, Jason Fleming was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Jason Fleming. Isn't that Ian... Is that Ian Fleming's son? Uh... No, Jason Connery is Sean Connery's son. Yeah. 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 Everything's just a circle. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy, yeah. Everything's connected. Yeah, and then you wanted... I I believe you were also going to... uh, try to irritate me by talking about Entrapment. Entrapment, yep. Which I have seen a couple times. Have you seen it since 1998? No. Okay, that is the correct answer. Go. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was a pretty good heist movie at the time from what I remember of it. You know, I I liked it when I saw it in the theater and then I think I liked it when I rented it from Blockbuster Video. Um... 22 years ago. (laughs) You did that math in your head. That's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, what I did like that is non-Bond Connery, um, I thought that Finding Forrester was a pretty good movie. That was a pretty good show. Yeah, he plays a J.D. Salinger-like character, right? A recluse. What's that from? He was, he was struggling with his modem. <laughs> no, Finding Forrester had a couple of good, good bits in it. I thought that uh, you yeah. need to get yourself to a program. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dad. Was it, did you say pogrom? No. Program. I can uh, see you're losing patience. Patience. Yeah, he's he's fine and he sends his regards. Good. Uh, also Bill asked about you and the family. Good. Uh F F. Murray Abraham was in uh Finding Forrester, which I thought that he played a pretty good kind of a smug uh, college professor. Really? Yeah. I think that was it. If I, if I, if I'm accurately re- recollecting the F. Murray Abraham oeuvre, he pretty much plays a smug college professor type in everything, doesn't he? I mean, that's that's like less range than John Wayne. Play me something from Inside, Lewin Davis. I never saw that movie, but he like in, I thought that was a really great bit in the trailer. Didn't even see that. No. I mean, if, if I did, it was five years ago, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, he 
I mean, he was even a bad guy, I think, in a Star Trek movie. Yeah, you're probably right. And, and as I recall, the alien was really smug and wore a tweed jacket with patches on the sleeve. <laughs> An olive turtleneck. I believe they called him a Harvardian. <laughs> uh, no, Finding Forrester, so going back to Finding Forrester, there were uh, some pretty good lines. Uh, you're the man now, dog, which uh, I'll say from time to time. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> There's so many people who do a better um, Sean Connery than I do, but it's not going to prevent me uh, at this moment from... Ah, got it. Okay, that's great. I thought I... I'm sorry. I, shot, thought I set my uh, alarms and whatnot off. Now, was Sean Connery in Mockingjay 1 or Mockingjay 2? I always forget. Yeah, he wasn't in those movies, and I think we both know it's they were the poorer for it. Man, Do Donald Sutherland's spry, isn't he? I mean, he's not a young man. I mean, no, he's, he's got to be eighty, right? Yeah, yeah, I think he is. Sean Connery was eighty or ninety, ninety, right? Ninety. Yeah, ninety. Yeah, that's a good run. Um, so, okay, Finding Forrester, that is a solid choice. Do you? Did I send my list to you in an email? No. no. People are going to wonder why I didn't dig this out beforehand. But, you know, keep talking about your Sean Connery movies. Um, okay, so... Uh, of course, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Really? Okay. I mean, I thought he was terrific in that. It was really funny. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, it was good. It's surprising. I, you know, I, I think, in fact, I may have mentioned, you know, we just watched that a couple, few months ago. And uh, I enjoyed it more than Mrs. Winger did. But he was really good in that. Yeah. And Den Denim Elliott was really good. That scene in the tank. In fact, Tree, friend of the podcast Tree, he and I always joke about that scene where uh, uh, he like squirts ink from the pen in the bad guy's eye and he goes, Henry, do you see the pen? It's mightier than the sword. <laughs> Sean Connery starts yelling at him. He'll blend in. Oh, that was great. He knows people in every town between here and Marrakesh. He speaks every language. He'll blend in. You'll never find him. <laughs> Excuse me, does anyone here speak English? <laughs> and so he offers him water. <laughs> oh, no, thank you, sir. Fish make love in it. <laughs> that was great. Uh, anyway, we're not here to remember Denim Elliott, who, by the way, died of AIDS from... Uh, maybe maybe a blood transfusion? But oh, really? He, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Is from something. I mean, he definitely. I mean, I'm. I mean, I'm not being. I'm not making. A, I'm not making an AIDS joke. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, he really died of AIDS, but I can't remember. I don't. Okay, I think the thing was he wasn't. I think he was like, you know, in that um, aristocratic British style. I think he swung both ways. So that's how he probably. I mean, 
Okay, go on. You were, uh, uh, okay, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, also, uh, was, which was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and th- that's about all that I can think of. I Come never. On. I'm serious. I got to save the podcast again. Well, you'll probably talk about Russia House, which I've never seen. Russia House is great. Russia. I'm sorry, do you have to take care of something? Nope. Nope. You sure? Yep. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, okay. Well, if you ever, I mean, if it ever comes on cable, you should treat yourself because it's it's a really good movie, and there's just like one scene okay. that would be objection or one character who's objectionable to the family, and uh, he, he's an American, of course, Roy Scheider. Uh, yeah. Uh, I saw like 15 minutes of Russia House where he tells Michelle Pfeiffer to, when she writes something, to write it on a picture with a glass cover on it so that way it doesn't transfer. And, uh, and I have used that many times. Yeah. It's good. In, my, in my spy craft. Yep. Yeah. Most of the stuff I know, I learned from John Le Carre. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was funny. In the movie, um, the Russian scientist was Dante. But in the book, the Russian scientist was Goethe. Or as you might say in Colorado, Goeth. Goethe. 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 Yeah, we don't see John, John Mulroney's bit about Timothy Chalamet. Uh-uh. Okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, well, Russia well, House was great, and it's like there's like a scene where he's professing his love to Michelle Pfeiffer, which is really, really good. And no, it was, it was. Um, I mean, I'm sh- I think that movie would have gotten, you know, I mean, that movie easily could have been um, more accessible to the family, but um, um, you know, anyway. Um, when did I see it? I don't know. It was on cable. Yeah. Network TV at some point. Yeah. Anyway. But of course, of course, that led to his most famous Russian role. Meteor. Meteor? Don't don't go to Meteor. I didn't, I never saw Meteor. I saw it in the theater when it came out based on the fact that it was like a late 70s epic disaster movie. But after like all the steam started to come out of like the Poseidon Adventure and Earthquake and he played a Russian scientist uh, and Natalie Wood was in it I don't know if she played an American scientist but I think she they didn't they didn't saddle her with the Russian accent Yeah. so he and by the way the movie one of our top five movies of all time, I believe. It is. Actually, didn't that come before Russia House? Oh, I don't think it did. Okay. Well, tell us, Brian. <laughs> uh, the Hunt for Red October, which my kids refer to as the Hunt for the Red October. <laughs> I'm surprised Mrs. Winger does not. And uh, which 
which still holds up 20 years later, 25 years later, after it was released. 30? Um, because I mean, it was, was released. It what, was it 30? Actually, I think it was 89. Oh, man. That, that probably sounds about right. Well, no, he, his, uh, his turn as Marco Ramius was fantastic, I thought. I mean, he just was, he just, I don't know. I mean, everything about it worked for me. Now there are there are others there are those who find fault with like his Russian and then like they don't like see there was a there was a trick where the guy was reading from the Bible read the where would it be it would be the Hebrew word Armageddon which appears once in the Bible once in the Book of Revelation. And then, like, when he says Armageddon, then, like, the camera, which had been zooming mm-hmm. into his mouth, zooms out, and they're speaking English. Mm-hmm. I, but I thought that was a good trick. I thought I it thought, was great. Yeah. I, it was totally effective. No, I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Russia House and Red October came out the same year, 1990. Okay. At the end of, I mean, so that was, so the Berlin, so so John Le Carre may have been, I don't know what the genesis of the Russia house was. I mean, he, he would have written it, probably dropped in, I don't know, that sounds really fast. Because, I mean, the Berlin Wall came down in 89, and Russia threw out Gorbachev in 91. So, I mean, that was like that perfect year in between, you know, when there was like still a Soviet Union, but nobody else wanted to be part of the Union. So they all like, what, they started the, I think the 1990, no, maybe the 92 Winter Olympics. I don't know. Hmm. So the book, The Russia House, came out May 22nd, 89. Uh, They must have had the film in the works. Don't you think? Sure, maybe I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it seems since every other book takes like years to develop, I mean that's really fast. Are you sure? Yeah. Russia House the movie came out in ninety. Yeah. Okay. All right. The All right, internet. So the, the internet never lies. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it's true or. They wouldn't put it on the internet. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Here we go. I'm seeing a bunch of other ones. Uh, Medicine Man. No, no. A didn't see it. B he had a ponytail. No, no. Okay. Rising Sun. Uh, that was anti-Japanese propaganda from Michael Crichton. Remember when the Japanese were like the big threat and they were going to buy everything? Yep. Yeah. No, really, seriously. Make me make me an offer. Be my next door neighbor. <laughs> uh, just cause. See, I mean, who even knows about that movie? So, so the '90s. I mean, he was working a lot. Yeah. Maybe he was stashing money away for his retirement, which, to his credit, he took before he had to. Yep. Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I mean, obviously, he's not going out on a high note. You know, that's that's definitely a. A season where you don't make the playoffs. 
but he was fine. This is my yeah. body of work. I'm going. I'm going to split my time between my estate in Scotland and whatever super nice place on the Mediterranean that he owns. And something's coming through when you when you put rest your hand wherever you're resting it. Oh yeah. Sorry. There you go. There Sorry. you go. I was <laughs> something. Some odd. Some audio is coming through. Sorry about that. That's on me. I apologize. Okay. Oh. I apologize. Oh. <laughs> so is, is that what we're supposed to do when we make a, a mistake with technology? Well, I don't know. It, you know, I guess I guess if I'd have kept if I'd have kept doing it through the entire episode. <laughs> you see, Brian, I like to think that I learn from my mistakes and I move on. Um, Brian. Yes. Who's bringing us episode thirty-six of Managing Expectations podcast? Well, we're very happy to call Mrs. Winger's Masks a sponsor of the program. Uh, this pandemic doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And the CDC and other... <laughs> I'm trying to look gangster, and I look like Rick Moranis in Spaceballs. I got my hoodie up. Go on, Brian. Okay. Well, what's the CDC say, Brian? <laughs> the CDC and, and uh, <laughs> that, that's more the emperor. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, I, got, I got it down now. Okay. Oof. The CDC and other authorities recommend wearing a mask anytime you go out. Uh, Colorado, for example, has a mask order in place. Anytime you're in public, you got to wear a mask. So... If you're going to wear a mask, wear something that looks good. Uh, you'll feel good. Uh, wear a mask from MrsWinger.com. And it should be noted that Mrs. Winger's masks are not only stylish and they come in a variety of colors and patterns, but also there is a pocket on the inside so that you can add a coffee filter or another layer of protection to keep yourself safe. MrsWinger.com. Thank you, Brian. You're welcome. Yeah, just cause that was, I think, with uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Yep. 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 If you go further back, the Presidio with Mark Harmon. No, that's yeah, that's not it. Uh, yeah, he uh, and there was a woman in that uh, who was like supposed to be Sean Connery's daughter and Mark Harmon's girlfriend, and. I mean, it just it, it was like uh it was like what they did before they some genius cooked up the rock <laughs> welcome to the rock so, this some woman you're talking about is Meg Ryan in oh no kidding yep no kidding huh yep. oh dude so I figured out another thing that old people do old guys old guys right okay so they're watching a movie right and they'll be the credits will be going and some actor, hang on. <coughs> mm, a lot of smoke in the air. And like some actor's name will come up who means something to the old guy, but nobody else in the room. So he'll, he'll go, huh, Claude Akins. Mm. Okay. <laughs> or, or, so I just, I 
just the other night uh, tried to make fetch happen by watching two of the Pierce Brosnan uh, James Bonds. Maybe I should explain what I meant by trying to make try. I, I, I was I wanted to give them another chance, is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I was right. They're not great. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. Uh, however, I can't remember what I was going to say. So, so uh, maybe you were going to say something about uh, Denise Richards. The, the fine actress who's in the uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow may never come again. Die. <laughs> Dennis Miller had a great joke about Pierce Bro- the Brosnan area era uh, Bond movies. He said, uh, "So I went to see the new James Bond die again tomorrow, forever again, again." <laughs> It was something like that. It was pretty funny. Uh, no, it was... What What were we talking about before we talked about... Before I said Pierce Brosnan? Oh, uh, Meg. Meg old Ryan. guys. Old guys. So, in one of those... <coughs> the one which with movies? Like the, one, of the, one of the Pierce Brosnan movies. It's like the guy from Notting Hill, who was like kind of chubby, who I think like went on to Downton Abbey. You would know better than I. Hugh Dancy. <laughs> I'm going to check my math here real quick, but I'm pretty sure. He was the guy who... He was a guy in the British submarine. Because a British submarine goes down, and, like, you know, almost everybody dies. And that was the thing that gets uh, James Bond on the case. But uh, he he was one of the guys... I think Gerard Butler was one of the guys. Are you doing me or Gerard Butler? Gerard Butler. He talks out of one side of his mouth? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable to watch Gerard Butler. That's just me. A lot of women and every gay man disagrees. Yeah. I'm neither one, so there you go. Okay. You know what? Okay, so uh, it's it's Hugh Bonneville and not Hugh Dancy. Uh, both are super. But those are both like in the, if you were playing the Family Feud, and and the the question was give me an effete British family name. Both Dancy and Bonneville would be would would make the survey. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, one one of them would be for one hundred, the other would be for two hundred in Jeopardy. That's not how it works. You make up a hundred. In Jeopardy. Uh, uh the uh, category oh. you see what I'm oh. doing here? British I do. British uh, actors com- named com- Hugh. Lori. Hmm. Interesting. Well, listen, ask your wife and daughter later on for the other two. And you could do the entire Jeopardy category. category. Yeah, category. You see how I didn't say uh? That's that's called progress. And in fact, that last one doesn't count because I was using it as an example of what I don't do. Can, so can we do that now? Can we use words that we normally wouldn't use as an example of something we wouldn't do? If you want. I mean, no. 
I don't want Go to. Ahead. Like what, Brian? I can't think of any. Okay. So at some point, you're going to back up and get to The Untouchables. Now, have you seen this movie? I have. It's. I mean, it's on. It's on USA TNT rotation pretty heavily. So okay. if I haven't sat through the whole thing in one sitting, I've caught. You, I've caught the whole all. thing. I've seen yeah, it all. That's fine. He's really good in that. I mean, he's. You know. I mean, it's. There are contrivances in the plot. But he's terrific. And furthermore. Okay, and this is a spoiler alert. I will give you now five seconds to fast forward through the podcast in the event. Oh, you better make it 30 seconds. Okay, make it a minute. I don't know. But it's me, so so you want to fast forward because, spoiler alert, Sean Connery dies in The Untouchables. But the point is, his death scene is really good. And you can, like, see the light go out of his eyes, which is probably, like, a, a, a Brian De Palma cinematography trick, but it's fantastic. I mean, like, you can, like, just see it, like, it was amazing. Yeah, it was really well done. So, okay, welcome back to the Managing Expectations podcast when the spoiler alert is over. In case you haven't seen that movie from 1987. <laughs> is it really 87. Well, you're the one with IMDb in front of him. Uh, who said that? I've been doing all this stuff off the top of my head. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just that whenever you're thinking really hard, I can hear the, like, clitter-clat, like, uh... Like, uh... Clitter, clitter-clat. Like there's, like, there's mice in the attic. <laughs> you're right. It was from 87. Yeah. He was, I was alive yeah. then, Brian. Uh, so was I. I was 11 years old. Okay. You know, listen. People don't need to write, read your Wikipedia page right now. Okay? So just take it easy. I'm just sharing. So he was great in that. And and also, so there was like the thing where he says, uh, uh, like when, in, when uh, Sean Connery's, uh, I, I don't remember his character's name, but he plays Irish even though he's Scottish, and I think some people were critical of his Irish accent, but who cares? Jim, Jim Malone. Yeah, Malone. That's it, Malone. And he busts Kevin Costner, and uh, he says, well, I'm a, he says, so why are you out after dark with a knife, or with a gun? He says, and he says, yeah, I'm a treasury agent, and then he gives him his gun back, and he says, you're not even going to check? He says, why would you say it is if it is not? Or why would you say such a thing if it is not? Like, it's actually kind of embarrassing to be a treasury agent, so I'll let you keep your gun. And it's kind uh -huh. of funny, kind of a thing. See, I, David Mamet wrote that, and I kind, of, I, I kind of liked it, but there are, of course, contrivances. Anyway, that was really good. Now, go on. He... I mean, between... 1980 and 1990. Um, there's probably 15 films here. Well, dude, and he he made a lot of movies in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. He, no, he and Michael Caine both act like they came from poor families, and they did because they were of a generation that knew poverty and war uh, as children, and 
then they came of age in the swinging 60s. Well, I actually, I, you know, I don't really know that much about Connery, but uh, uh, in the 60s, so if he was born in 1930, that means he was in his early 30s when he played Bond. Mm-hmm. And he played him up into his mid-40s, I suppose. I think, well, no, Diamonds Are Forever came out in like 71, 72. 71. Yeah. Uh, I had to, you know, do you remember, do you ever see that movie? Uh, I, I did, but it's been, it's been a little while. It's on Hulu and it's fun. I think it's fun. Yeah. Like, people hate it. Um, but that had some really fun stuff in it. Anyway, the, the two hitmen who were very fond of each other. I mean, there's like, so like they were gay before you could say so, you know, there's just like these two assassins who like ended up like a- after their first hit, they like walked off through the desert holding hands. And then so that was like, I'm sure it was like super shocking in 71. So that, see, they had to go back to Connery because George Lazenby, who was in Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh, after one movie said, I don't want to make any more. Sorry. And he ended up like owning real estate in Australia. Anyway. There's a lot there. That's well, <laughs> well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. It's something in the air in 1970, I suppose. But he just like he, they said, okay, don't grow a beard on the publicity tour. So now I want to grow a beard. So he grew a beard and he made made everybody unhappy. And you think, you know, it, you know, they're, you know, you're not flying coach, okay? So maybe I don't know, shave the beard. You know, just people, just, people just, shave just, for for yeah. dumber reasons than that. Just fall in line. Just play along to get along, George. Anyway, he wouldn't do it. And, um, um, oh, I did it. I said, Would oh, you? I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm really working on it. It's okay. So they went back to Sean Connery for Diamonds Are Forever, which I actually kind of liked. A lot of people didn't. And there's reasons to, I mean, it was, it was cheesy. I mean, by the early 70s, you could tell when stuff was looking fakey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another thing old guys do. So I was like totally turning into... So I watched the first... Uh, the Let's see. A Pierce Brosnan movie, and then I watched the next one. So Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough. I watched them in order, whichever the order is, because you can't mm-hmm. tell. And... By the second one, I turned into friend of the podcast Jared Reiser, and his dad. I turned into Jared's dad because, like, I'm like picking apart all the fakey stuff. Like, so we, by the time you're watching a James Bond movie and you're saying, "Yeah, you you wouldn't be able to ride a car like that with the with the tires. No way, no way." <laughs> uh, you, there is an element, of course, of uh, suspended disbelief that would keep you from so anyway uh i liked i liked the untouchables i liked uh red october forever and in between was arguably sean connery's best role the man who would be king so it was directed by yeah in 75 no no i'm just i'm I'm shaking my head because i've never seen it 
because uh, you sh were shaking your head like, no, Jeff. Once again, you're you, you're wrong on the timing. But okay, so we won't do it. So uh, Michael Caine and Christopher Plummer. Man, that's a great cast. Yeah. Did you know Christopher Plummer is Canadian? I thought he was British. I thought he was British too. Yeah. With that classy way of speaking. Uh, I never. I've I've hardly seen a Christopher Plummer movie. Wasn't he in Minority Report? I don't know. You didn't see Minority Report? I did, but if Christopher Plummer was in it, I didn't. I don't recall. Uh, he is in it, and he's pretty good in it. Well, I wouldn't call Minority Report a Christopher Plummer movie. I uh, wouldn't either. I was. We'll put him in with Connery and Kane, in the insofar as they all have a healthy respect for making a living. These were guys who I'm, I'm sure you know lived large. And uh, worked know, hard. Did, did yeah, worked hard. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they they say they, you know it is said that Michael Caine uh, is uh, a thrifty fellow, and uh, well, they say it about the Scottish. Generally, what was that line from uh, Mad Men? Uh, Sinjin said he, he had some sort of uh, re, uh, epithet about the Scots. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember it. Was it. About, he was talking about Lane. He's like, uh, you get a penny. This is a great ad. What, what did he say? You get a penny from a Scotsman. Yeah. Oh, that's another guy who I think was uh, in one of the James Bond movies. The guy who was in The Nanny with Sinjin from Mad Men, you know, so so there yeah. was a Fran Drescher, and uh, there was like the uptight butler, and then the right uh, the single uncle. dad, yeah, yeah, uh, Mr. Sheffield. Is that what was that his name? Yeah, yeah. There you go then. So and the only reason I remember that is I could just I could hear Fran Drescher's voice nasally screaming, "Mr. Sheffield," and now I can too. Yeah. Nice. Didn't Mrs. Wingers had a chronic cough for 25 years? You know that. It's allergies, but she can live with it. Isn't that something? And now I live with it too. <laughs> so we were saying, uh, yeah, that. So the actor who plays the butler in The Nanny was in Hunt for Red October. He played the assistant to Jim, no, Fred Thompson, Fred Dalton Thompson's Oh, that's Admiral, right. Or whatever. The, he's the, the guy, guy who said what he's, what's yeah, he say? Yeah, he's not, he wasn't too too keen on uh, on Jack Ryan wearing the uniform. That's right. And, and Fred Thompson. shot down over the Gulf. Spent, went into the drink. Spent eight months learning how to walk again, so you might cut him some slack, Charlie. <laughs> he's great in that movie, too. Fred uh, Thompson plays the exact same guy in everything, and he's great. It it's doesn't like, matter. Yeah. Call Central Casting. Get me a 
gruff southern senator, please. <laughs> yeah, Fred, Tam Fred Thompson's right here. Here we go. We'll send him right over. Who who played Maurice in uh in Northern Exposure? Texas's own Barry Corbin. What? Barry Corbin's not available. Send in Dalton Thompson. Fred Dalton Thompson. FTG. Barry Corbin, famous as uh, um, Deputy Roscoe in uh, Lonesome Dove. Mostly known, though, as Sh um, Maurice Minifield from Northern Exposure. And, and the general at NORAD in War Games. When, I'd piss uh, on a spark plug if I thought it'd help. I'd like to see War Games again. I just made a Whopper ref reference, and uh, I, I really had to take somebody's hand and uh, get him to that. I, I, uh, I show, showed the family War Games about a year and a half ago, two years ago. How'd it go? They were like, Jack was like, that's not, that's not really how computers work. <laughs> uh, it was in 82, bud. That's not how computers work. Was he was he bent that there wasn't a graphical user interface? Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is great because I, like, when I I saw War Games as a kid, and I just thought it was just just like so interesting. And this you know this little geeky teenage hacker got into NORAD, and it's, I just it was like a big thing for me. It was and, it uh, was huge. Yeah, and uh, the kids were like. Hmm. Eh. Not that great. You know why? There weren't enough costumes in it for them, probably. <laughs> right. Uh, uniforms are fine, but costumes <laughs> lend an air of pageantry. Don't you think, Father? I do think. <laughs> yeah, so... That's another. So anyway, old guys watch a movie and and see a thing come up. So Christopher Plummer was, in fact, he plays uh, Rudyard Kipling in uh, The Man Who Would Be King, which is a short story written by Kipling, and John Huston adapted it, probably so he could go hunting, which was kind of his thing. He liked to get the. He liked to get the, the studios to pay for his trips abroad where he would like crank out a movie and so, sometimes to great effect. Okay, I mean, uh, the African Queen, I don't think, I, I don't think dates that well, but it was a real uh, chore to make and apparently uh, Catherine Hepburn <laughs> almost died and Humphrey Bogart was pretty good in it, but you know, I mean, so this is a movie that came out in probably the early 50s. I'm thinking, hang on, you're probably looking it up, but I'm thinking between 51 and 54. Mm, I'm going to say 52. So let me know what, you, what when the African Queen came out. Ooh. So close. Was that well, your final answer? 52. 51. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can live with that. So the special effects weren't great. It kind of looked like at one point when the boat's going over the rapids or whatever, it looks like they're using matchstick people 
for Humphrey Bogart <laughs> and Catherine Hepburn, like, like you know, a kid would do a diorama in school, <laughs> you know. Anyway, um, so John Huston made The Man Who Would Be King. Connery was great. Michael Caine was great. I so before before so when I was a kid, I did a Sean Connery imitation that I I'd like to think has gotten better, but it's not very good, and I know that. But it's still fun, and everybody does it, but it's still fun. And the thing I always did was from uh, The Man Who Would Be King, because it's kind of obscure. And he goes, uh, Someday I'll stand before her. Not kneel, mind you, but stand. Stand as an equal. <laughs> He's talking that's about the good. queen and being mm -hmm. the king. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So... Uh, Terrific movie, The Man Who Would Be King. It's totally worth it if it's on sale on you, on uh, iTunes. You know, you should check it out. Um, from the mid '70s, there was a movie called Zardoz that is embarrassing. Have you seen any of that? Uh, no, I've seen the movie poster, which like makes its rounds around the internet every once in a while. Like, hey, yes, can it you does. believe? Can you believe this is Sean Connery and he's right. got like, like an animal skin bandolier or something? Uh, no, he's like in a red unitard. Okay, all right. You know what? Um, yeah. I mean, no. It's like his his he's he wears like a red bathing suit like Borat. And he's wearing like thigh high boots. Yeah, look at it's yeah. awful. And he's got a ponytail. And I think I think what confused you was he probably wasn't wearing a shirt, so you thought he had an animal skin over him. But in fact, that was Sean Connery's chest and shoulders. And 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 the ponytail. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And the braided ponytail that kind of comes. And a braided ponytail. I know it's terrible. I mean, it's unspeakable. I can unspeakable. I can buy this a print of this on art dot com for twenty seven dollars. A thirty two by twenty four. Yeah. Seriously. I won't. Wow. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> wow. It'd be the last time Mrs. Grimm ever suggested you go get waxed. <laughs> uh, it is. It is a. Uh, take yeah, it easy. I'm blown right by that comment like it didn't ever happen. This. It is that that bandolier that I was talking about is like it's it's suspenders that kind of hold up his loin cloth. <laughs> and see, if you got to have suspenders to hold up your loin cloth, you, you would expect that a fellow would. Uh, a fellow who would be built more like a Russian gangster, <laughs> or myself. <laughs> so I look like a Russian so, gangster in a speedo, uh, except for the you know, except my my prison tats are different. Right. So what is what is this? Have you seen Zardoz? I've seen like a half hour of it, and it's it's terrible. It's so terrible. It's unspeakably terrible, and and if you think that there's like some like, oh, first of all, the pretension, the pretension, of, of science fiction, coming out of like the '60s, 
was beyond belief, right? Half these guys are like fried on, you know, <laughs> a variety of substances. And variety of substances. yeah, sure. I mean, they discovered drugs their father did not know. The, the drugs that their fathers did know was called mm-hmm. bourbon. Uh, and and uh, this is crazy. So it was John Borman, who was like a kid during the Blitz, and he, he, he made a movie that was supposed to be... It's just awful. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm back. What was I saying? Uh... The guy who created Zardoz. John Borman. Yes, thank you. He also directed in the early, very early 80s Excalibur, which is considered one of the best King Arthur movies, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, I can't remember exactly the deal, but I think there was maybe a sex scene when the guy was wearing his, his suit of armor. And so... That's why I think it drew the R rating. Uh, I, I heard well, and I think it was like the young Helen Mirren in it. Well, you know, should have been Helen Mirren in the early '80s was younger than you and I are right now. Have a great day, Brian. She's she's done. Have you ever seen have Have you ever seen the picture of like the really young Helen Mirren? She looks a lot like J Law. Uh, I have. I mean that that's the movie that's begging to be made is like either like a you know in the past with Je- you know like uh, Jennifer Lawrence as the character and then the older version with Helen Mirren but Helen Mirren's really quite something Yeah and she just I mean what she's got to be in her 70s what she's got to be in her 70s She's got to be Well yeah I mean cuz she still looks great Well I mean I mean I mean think I mean do the math right the the oldest baby boomers were born in 46 Springsteen was born in 49. So, yes, uh, the oldest baby boomers, like Bill Clinton and I think George W. Bush, are, you know, 75. Going to be. So she was born in 45. So there you go, 75. So there you go, 75. Yeah, this looks, you know, really looks like a gal you'd like to have dinner with. Yep. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I can't remember the name of the guy who played King Arthur. It wasn't like a big draw. Um, anyway, uh, John Borman did Excalibur. He did Zardoz. He did a movie called Hope and Glory, which was about being a little kid during the Blitz. Never saw it. I mean, he's, he's, he's done other stuff, but mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. And Zardoz was just a piece of crap about uh it, it was it was i guess it, i guess it was similar to a lot of the dysfunctional not dysfunctional excuse mm-hmm. me dystopian uh future uh ideas where there's like incredible class divisions with like the soft elites and then like the rough people of the land and there were these enforcers and so Sean Connery was an enforcer who, like, I don't know, kept the rabble in line, and they and they floated around with in these like giant 
spaceship in these spaceships that look like heads like a like a eastern island kind of head that's what like the thing is it's, it's so stupid I'm looking at the at the uh, the movie poster and it's it's kind of like a like a tiki looks like a tiki mask yes is 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 on there and in um, fact in the, fact the enforcers the, whatever they were called actually called I think wear that tiki mask when they're like destroying the rabble I can't I can't remember what the deal was but then like Charlotte Rampling is like you know is is this beautiful genius very beautiful genius and you know she's intrigued by Sean Connery and so even though you know it's a forbidden love I don't know I didn't keep watching it it was horrible it was stupid the the movie tagline is beyond 1984 beyond 2001 beyond love beyond death wow wow it's a ways out there then beyond my patience <laughs> right which which isn't really out there so uh, yeah there we go won't be seeing it right how did I get on John Borman? Oh, Zardoz. Yeah. Sean Connery was in Zardoz. Yeah. And uh, so, I, 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 I again, I, I wish, I know I wrote my favorite Sean Connery movies down, and I, sh I, I think I shared it with you, and now you can't find it. So, this is, this looks interesting to me, though, is on an, uh, the, the list of topics. Uh, sensible portions 5.3 ounces of yogurt. Well, this has Question nothing mark? to do with Sean Connery, but I would like to know who the heck is satisfied with a six-ounce yogurt. And I don't know if you paid attention to this, and I don't know if it's the Europeans trying to put things into their metric system. <laughs> Sound like drunk uncle. <laughs> but I, I, I noticed that a lot of like the single portion, so-called of yogurt in the grocery store is 5.3 ounces. What is that? Is that really what a human being is supposed to eat? And if so, that would explain a lot, but really? I mean, that's just not much. It's not much at all. Of yogurt? I mean, are you really looking for 12 ounces of yogurt in one sitting? Well, it's a as a substitute for ice cream, I most certainly am. Okay. Come on, Brian. What's what's your yogurt of choice? Yoplait? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because obviously I've been on the Greek bandwagon with everybody else. It's high protein. That's great. However, have you had this Icelandic? What's it called? Icelandic? From Iceland? <laughs> what do you have against Iceland, Brian? Nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, oh, man, there was... It was like in 1999 when John McCain was running for president against, um, he was running for the Republican nomination. And eventually he would um, suffer from a horrible smear uh, at the hands of Karl Rove in uh, the Bush campaign. I mean, I mean, it, horrible in the sense that it's, uh, a lie fabricated to play upon racist, you know, ideology. So, leaving that aside, he um, 
The Daily Show. Uh, I think this was maybe, I mean, this is before The Daily Show became what it became. You know, back mm-hmm. when it, you know, still like, I don't know, a million people watching it on Comedy Central. And Stephen Colbert and what's the other guy? Mo Rocca were like kind of trolling um, McCain. And and then he, he opened it up to the press for questions and they asked him about Bjork. And he knew, I mean, he was in on the joke and he was like a really, he was a funny guy. And, and this was the Straight Talk Express. Do you remember when he, they were doing mm-hmm. that? So. He's like, he's like, no, I don't really, I don't really care for Bjork. And they're like, Senator, Senator, what's your problem with Iceland? It was hilarious. <laughs> it was really funny. Uh, anyway, uh, Brian, what's your problem with Iceland? I don't know. It's called, I, I really don't. It's called something. Yeah. And it's like a, it's like a three letter, four letter word, and the vowel is a Y, and it's that sort of European thing. So it's stupid, but it was delicious. And I could have used a lot more than 5.3 ounces, I'm here to tell you. But if that's what, and, and see, here's the thing. So maybe also, I'm saying, I'm just saying, maybe these are women's portions. Because they don't expect guys to go in and get a yogurt and a banana. So Is it skier? Yeah, that's it. Skier? Skier? Skier. S-K-Y-R. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's it's delicious. It's like it's like uh, substantial, you know. It's like it's almost meaty in its uh, substance. Not meaty, like you don't have to cut it, but and it doesn't get caught between right. your teeth, which is right. part of part of the draw. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the ad here, and like they're in like the quart, like what you would expect to find ice cream in that same kind of packaging. That's how I need to find it. Yeah, they've got coconut, strawberry, key lime. Who's they? Amazon.com. Where's my grabber? <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, uh, Nusa is the yogurt of my choice. Have you had Nusa? Uh, Mrs. Winger's brought it home, so I've had it in small portions. And uh, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was great. I didn't, think, I didn't think it was Greek God, you know, just saying. Greek God, I think, is the Greek kind that you, you find on most grocery shelves. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with uh, with small yogurt portions. Maybe and maybe they're hoping that you'll. Well, so so last week I mentioned my uh, wife's friend, uh, uh, my friend's wife. My friend's wife, the one who's, may I say, very intelligent. And I remember visiting them and she like pours herself. Okay, so my whole life I've seen like these juice glasses. These little juice glasses. Like that's what that's okay. actually what they're called. It's like it's like a double shot glass. It's maybe like three shot glasses. I mean it's ridiculous. So she actually used one unironically. And put juice in it, and didn't finish it. So like she leaves for work, and I'm I'm with my friend, and I'm like, that's so funny. And like I notice Mrs. Winger will often often pour a glass of juice and then not finish it. They're like, no, I'm like what? I, I I just don't get it. I just don't. I just and this is you know what? 
this probably uh, goes back to an addictive personality and food issues and just what a psychological disaster I am. But I don't get it. I mean, how do you not polish off six ounces of juice? Seriously. I never had that problem. Anybody? Do you, do you know any women for whom that's been a problem? No. All the women nope. in your life finish their juice? They do. They do. I did, I did work with a guy uh, who was a smoker. And he smoked like the 100s, like the, the long cigarettes. Okay. I don't know what that means. Not, not, not like the old timey, you know, ones that were on a stick, right? But, but like the longer cigarettes. <laughs> on, a, on a stick. <laughs> so anyhow, so he, he would, and I, I don't know how many packs of, yeah, finish your juice. Uh, he would, he would, I don't know. He'd probably, it's not juice and gin, Brian. <laughs> He'd probably smoke three packs a day. But he would light, you know, one one off of another. But he would he would burn it down, and there would be like a quarter of it left, and then he would light another one off of it. And I was like, Why do you smoke one hundreds and leave most you know a good chunk of it still there? This is none of your business. It's funny. It's how I've always done it. <laughs> it's how he's always done it. Yep. Yeah. By the way, I when you asked that question, I th- I I that was going to be. I was going to say, did he say because it's none of your business? Yeah. I just seemed like a waste of money. It's the way he's always done. But maybe, got, maybe a guy who smokes three packs a day isn't really concerned about how much it costs. No, maybe not. I remember before my folks stopped smoking, um, how many times they tried to quit. They, ultimately, they, they both quit, which is amazing. It's like an uncharacteristic family triumph of, of, of with self-control and uh, you know they were both they, they were divorced from one another when they both stopped but I remember as a kid again the late 70s and just what just what a malaise it all was you know but uh, they would you know the, the price would go up for one reason or another whether it was inflation or I don't know if there were taxes put on them and just you know like you know, there was never enough money to go around. So, I mean, I know that they mm-hmm. were, like, struggling with how do you justify this filthy habit at the same time. So, anyway, that was just a, a thing. And uh, all part of the tragedy of the middle class, really. When did, How old were you when your dad stopped smoking? Uh, I was probably 12 or 13. Okay. So, he stopped in the late 80s? Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did I ever tell you the story how he quit? I think you. I think I've heard uh, that he went to a hypnotist, right? Yeah. It, oh, but I think they had him count backwards from a thousand by three. They sat. They sit him back in like a big reclining chair, and he's in a room full of people, and and they uh, tell you to count backwards by three from a thousand, and they feel you know. Then they just slowly and methodically fill your head with facts about smoking for I don't know half an hour or whatever and uh, and then they put everybody in a small room they say okay everybody can light up you can smoke if you want and he says I was so stressed out from counting backwards I 
and have a cigarette. So every, everybody lights up and smokes, and then they put you back in the same room, and they do this same process all over again. Have you count down uh, from 1,000. Uh, same routine with the facts about smoking. And then they put everybody in the room, and they say, okay, you can light up if you want. And he says, and not one person did it. Wow. He, said, he says, and for the first time, uh, it, it dawned on me that I could smell the smell of smoke on my clothes. I could smell it on other people. It stunk. He says, I couldn't wait to get out of that room. Wow. All right. And, and uh, so I asked is, him one time. Is I that says, how the CIA turned your dad into a... An operative? <laughs> A sleeper operative. No, I think there was a different program for that, but maybe we'll talk about that another maybe. time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I asked him, I said, so, so did it work? I mean, have you ever smoked again? And he said, no. Hmm. I, said, have you ever wa- I said, have you ever wanted to? He says, you're damn right I did. <laughs> <laughs> our, f- our friend Mike Paschke uh, always talked about how much he loved to smoke. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my dad said the same. My dad said the same thing. He said, "I love and I love to smoke." Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. I mean, they they, they quit because it's well, I don't know. Okay, would I say I love to drink? No, I wouldn't say that. But at times, you know, I love to have a drink, and there are times now when I would love to have a drink. So. And it does look really cool. <laughs> yep. What did um, uh, so in Anchorman when uh, they're at the jazz club, and Christina Applegate uh, orders what, what she, she call, uh, order at a, a Manhattan, take the vermouth, take the vermouth and kick it to the curb in steel-toed boots, something like that. <laughs> Mm, that's quite a that's quite an order. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. All right. Well, listen. Um, I was thinking that we would only spend part of the episode talking about the cinematic legacy of the great Sean Connery. Sleep well, sweet prince. You're going out like you came in. I like it. No wood whiskey's here. So I just got a text. I just got, I, I, oh, I've gotten several texts, but one of them. And in fact, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll be listening to our podcast in its uh, complete form. And I will hear, and, and I think I'm getting a text. And so I pick up my phone and I'm looking at it. And it's like, hmm, there's no text. What it was, was <laughs> me hearing the noise of me getting a text uh, in real time. But, um, uh, my my friend Dave uh, sends me this uh, South Dakota nurse sounds alarm on COVID nineteen um, says uh, patients spend last minutes insisting virus isn't real he says they're going full wrath of Khan in South Dakota to the last I grapple with thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. That was apparently a line from Wrath of Khan. The great Ricardo Montalban, ladies and gentlemen. Another <laughs> actor of that generation with a healthy respect for making a living. Yep. None of this Leonardo DiCaprio every three years 
if the rainforests need it. Well, if they're going to pay you $30 million every three years, that's not a bad way to do it. I don't know. I don't, I, 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 I don't know. But there's probably actors who work less. I don't know. Brad Pitt seems to make a lot of movies that he doesn't make any. Then he like makes a lot of movies and he makes none. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Okay. Okay. What? Uh, be careful. Be careful out, there. out there. I will be. Brian. Wear a mask. Yeah. How, how how should I how should I protect myself when I'm being careful, Brian? Protect yourself with a mask that is stylish and comfortable and effective. MrsWinger.com. Thank you. Thanks again to our sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go. Thank her right now. Thank you, Brian, and thank you, listeners, for joining us on this episode 36 of Managing Expectations, the podcast. Now, let's go to work.